We hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. I'm going to tell you a story about pain this morning. And I'm going to tell you a story of, of myself and how I've been suffering with pain, very physical pain. Um, so for the last, it must be well over two months now, um, I've been, I started off with like a hip problem. My hip was hurting. I thought it was my hip. And as the months progressed, so longer than two months, as the months progressed, the pain kind of started making its way further down the back of my leg, back of my knee, down to um, my calf muscles and what I've been, down to the ankle. And if you're anyway medical in here, you're probably beginning to think, I know what that probably is. And you would be right. I had it diagnosed as sciatic pain. So something's happened at the base of my back, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, um, but something's happened at the base of my back where a nerve has begun to kind of get its, itself in all of, a, all of a tither, and maybe it gets trapped in between the muscles in, in the utter, I don't know, glutamus max is whatever it's called. Um, and anyway, what, the, the nerve is getting twanged, it's getting inflamed, whatever, and it's shooting pain down my leg. And so for the last, over, well over two months now, um, I find it extremely difficult to, to walk, uh, to get up, to, to really want to do anything, unless I'm maxed out with cocodamol and, uh, and, and ibuprofen, um, because that, that really helps with the pain. I tried this funny little thing that the doctor prescribed me, uh, and I tried it for three days. I didn't feel it doing anything at all. And I read up about what this thing was called. I can't pronounce the name of it. Maybe Dr. John here would help me out. But it began with A and ended in E. Uh, and, 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 and I found out it was, it was an antidepressant. Oh, there we pharmacists, of course, right at the front here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Can you remember the name? No? Uh, to think of, it, think of it while I'm talking. And it's an antidepressant, but it's not one that doctors now like to prescribe necessarily because it's quite a toxic antidepressant. Not only is it addictive, um, but actually, if you, if you accidentally take too much, it's really bad for you. Maybe that's like that with a lot of medicines, but this particular one is a second-hand medicine, and an offshoot of that is it helps with nerve pain. Um, well, it didn't help me, so I stopped taking it uh, and just stuck to cocodamol, which, again, you can't take after three days. Apparently, that's addictive as well. Um, so, so cocodamol, ibuprofen, uh, and prayer has been my, my, my diet of choice of these last two months. And so when I stand here on a Sunday morning, I am well drugged up on the Holy Spirit and medical stuff. And I, I thank God for, for doctors and nurses and the medical profession as, and pharmacists and things like that, because, because without that, you know, I just think it's amazing that God has given us these wonderful things in the world to be able to change and shape to help us medically as well. So yes, I want miracles, but I also think medicine is a miracle as well. So I've been, I've been suffering from that. And, and I know a lot of you can, can sympathize with that, and some of you got a lot worse things than that, and some of you got a, not things as bad as that. But what it did for me is I remember sitting down on the sofa one day and going, I really don't want to get up and get a drink. It gets to that point where it just hurts. I can't be bothered. And my little minions aren't around, so I can't command them to do what I need them to do. Um, So so I've got to get up and do it. I thought, well, this isn't good. Because I was in danger of becoming becoming a pity party. Um, and, and just wallowing in my own self, self-pity, and I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in, in, a, in a bit. Um, I thought, God, this isn't good. This hasn't come from you, God. 
I don't believe this has come from you. I don't think bad things come from God. So if, if that's the case then, what am I to do with this? And immediately I thought, well, what I need you to do is think, what's the positivity that you can bring through this pain? What's the positive thing that you can bring through this pain? And I sat there and thought, well, what it's made me do is sit and think about the things I want to do. <laughs> and, and then, therefore, that wasn't a bad thing because it made me think, actually, we could, we could all do with a dose of that in our lives. Like, taking a little while to, before we actually do the thing we so desperately want to do because it might not necessarily be the wisest thing that you, you need to do. Or take a, take a step back on responding to something negative because it might not be the best time to respond when you're feeling all churned up and, and horrible inside. You need to take a little while. So that was basically the bottom line of, of this, this, this thing that God was saying is just, just slow down. And in our society today, I think slowing down is a really good message. It's, it's, it's a really good thing that we could all take a, take a, a dose of, that medicine of just slowness and, and taking things one, literally one step at a time. You know, we think about social media, we think about Twitter especially. I'm on Twitter. And sometimes I, I can sit there and, and either get wound up or just laugh. You know, it's, it's so ridiculous. Um, but people responding, boom, 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 boom. Uh, arguments happening out of nowhere. You know, last week I talked about kind of the Brexit thing and people responding on social media, they voted yes, or they, sorry, they voted Remain or they voted Leave, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Take your time. Take your time before you respond to stuff. Take your time before you do stuff. Um, and that, for me, is a, real, is a real lesson. I know it's a very simple lesson, but I tend to do things first and deal with the consequences. Sometimes it's actually quite handy to do that, but more often than not, just have a little think before you go ahead and do something, before you go ahead and say something. And I thought, well, thank you, God. And he thought, well, that's what I want you to talk about on Sunday. I want you to talk about how we can bring something positive through the pain not despite of the pain or not because of the pain but through the pain see pain pain comes from the fallen creation pain comes from the fallen creation I'm going to detail that in a little while because you might be thinking well pain's useful and pain is useful because it tells us when we've stubbed our toe Tells us when we've cut ourselves. You know, so, so, so to, pain is a useful thing, but, but, but pain is like a thing that we, you know, in terms of the diseases that we can get and, 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 and the, the afflictions that can come upon us, they're, they're from our fallen creation. They're from what we see around us. They're from our shattered, our shattered world. The thing that God didn't want in the beginning, he created a good place for us. And I wonder that if creation had never, had never fallen... Would we, would we have experienced negativity through pain? Because when, when, when you cut yourself and it's painful, that's a good thing because it means you can heal it up and what have you. It's not a negative thing, but, but there's pain that we can, that we can feel that, that just takes us into a nosedive of negativity. And would we have ever experienced that if the world hadn't fallen? I talked about physical pain, how I'm feeling. For some of you may be applying that to, to kind of mental trauma. That's a different kind of, of pain. And mental trauma actually can, can change our reality around us. As, as our brain uh, or our minds try and 
protect us from a traumatic experience. But most often, and this is where I want to be sensitive because I know that for some of us this, this will hit you really hard, most often mental pain is the pain of, of grief and the pain of loss and the feeling of powerlessness. I said to you, God doesn't bring, I don't believe God brings us pain to test us. But within that, he can use the pain to show us something. He can grow us through the pain, and it hopefully will even change us for the better. Muscles, I believe, need to be ripped. I don't know what makes up a muscle, so let me just make up words. John, help me. What muscles? Fibres? Fibres, okay. They need to be basically broken to be rebuilt for the muscle to grow. Would that be a very simple way of thinking about it? I don't know. Something like that. Anyway, things, basically, when you do exercise, it hurts, but it's a good thing, isn't it? To grow our muscles. Okay, all right, so there you go. So that's kind of like that. So what, so what I'm trying to get at is, regardless how that works, we change, don't we, if we, if we build up our muscles. So it hurts, but we, build up, we, we change, we become something else. And God can use pain of all various types to change us, to, to help us grow. For example, here's an example. When we willingly enter into relationships, whether that be friendships, marriage, whatever, whatever kind of, or, or uh, I don't know, apprentice, master relationship, teacher-pupil relationship, any kind of relationship. When we enter into those relationships, there's a potential for pain. But we need to enter into relationships because that's what Jesus did. We need to copy his example. He asked us to, to go and make disciples. Well, you can't make disciples on your own, can you? You need to connect with someone, some people. You need to engage with them. And as you, as you engage and as you connect, you draw closer together. But unfortunately, what happened might one day is that we might lose them. Whether that be bodily, whether we lose them from this earthly realm, or, 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 or geographically, because they, they need to just simply move. Um, or maybe sometimes people change as they get older. And they no longer want to engage and connect with you in the way that they once did. And, and, and that can bring us pain. But we willingly and should enter into relationships. We don't do this life on our own. I think it's Tennyson, Lord Tennyson, said something like, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I think that's a, a, a really, I think it's a really good, good thing to remember. That it's better to have loved, experienced love than never to have experienced love at all. God wants us to enter into relationships with others, even though it might bring us pain. But remember, again, God isn't the source of that pain. Now, here's a problem that, that sometimes we might find ourselves in. I speak from very personal experience. Sometimes we can wallow in our pain. Sometimes we, whether it be physical or mental, you know, as I was in danger of doing, oh, I'm so painful, oh, it's so, you know, but also mental pain. 
And sometimes as with grief, when we lose someone, we've got, to, we've got to walk through the pain. We should never deny the loss, obviously. We never deny that they existed to help us cope with that pain. That, that, that doesn't help. Putting something into a mental cupboard and locking the door and throwing the key away, never to experience that pain, doesn't help. So we never deny the loss. But, but one day, and we've all been affected by this, I would imagine, one day we realise that we've moved on almost kind of creeps up on us. We've moved on. We've never forgotten. We never will forget. But we realize we're actually living life once again. And we've moved on. We haven't gone every, every, every minute thinking about that person or that, whatever that might be. We, we've gone an hour. We've gone a couple of hours. We've gone 24 hours. We find ourselves suddenly on a new independent path. And that's a good thing. But wallowing is not a good thing. To, to wallow, to wallow, and the more I say that word, the more weird it sounds. <laughs> to, 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 it's a great word. To, to wallow is to stay in one place. Think about, I don't know, think about Africa and like the big kind of uh, hippos might be wallowing in the mud and the dirt and the grime. And, and why are they doing that? Well, when they, they, they do that, to protect themselves from flies and what have you and things that are going to hurt them and bite them and, and stuff. But sometimes we, 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 we find ourselves sticking, staying in the mud, wallowing in that place, hoping that others will join us in our little pity party. And that wallowing, that wallowing might keep those flies off. You know, whatever those metaphorical flies might be. Um, and it keeps us safe. So, In other words, we... we we, 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 we remove ourselves from connecting with others because we want to stay wallowing. We don't want to engage with other people because it hurts, because we've experienced loss. We don't want them to do us harm. We don't want them to hurt us. We don't want them to break our hearts once again. But the problem is with that, if we never venture out, if, if, we, if, we, if we never attempt to step outside, uh, sorry, if we never attempt to step out despite our pain, then we'll never have a chance to grow. We'll never have the chance to change the world in us and to change the world around us. And every single one of you, every single every person that's watching this online, you have the potential to change the world around you. For some of us, that'll be seemingly a small change. For some of us, that'll be a, a more impactful change in terms of more, more people. But however big or however small, it's important. And God needs you. He needs you despite your pain. To, to grow and to change and to, to change the world around you. So rather than, let's not, here's the thing, rather than letting the fallen creation, so we accept we're living in a fallen creation, rather than abiding by its fallen rules, let's, let's abide by the rules of heaven. Let's abide by the rules of heaven, occupying our role as stewards and caretakers declaring the goodness of God in all situations, despite the pain. God is good. All the time. Or whatever the thing is, I've forgotten it already. Do it for me, Alan. All the time, all the time, God is good. So God doesn't cause us pain. 
really need to hammer that home. I don't believe God causes us pain, but he uses pain to help us go closer to him. Think about Jesus. Jesus suffered the greatest physical pain imaginable. It was such a horrific death to die on the cross that even the Romans after a little while decided it was too much and stopped doing it. It's a horrific thing to go through. Not only physically, but mentally. The anguish that Jesus suffered about what he was about to face must have been incredible. But he ultimately conquered that, didn't he? Through Jesus, God stepped into our anguish. He stepped into our fallen state and he took on the greatest suffering so that we didn't have to. The father knows what it's like to lose a son. The son knows what it's like to suffer like we do. But it's also a story of absolute assurance in the goodness of God. And that despite the circumstances, indeed actually because of the circumstances, we can overcome every obstacle. John 16, verse 33, this is from the Amplified Version, it says, I have told you these things, this is Jesus, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. What awesome words by Christ. That when we're truly with him and truly in him, we experience perfect peace. And he acknowledges how bad the world is. But he's saying, look, just stick with it. Be courageous, be undaunted. Most of all, be filled with joy, righteousness, peace and joy. He's overcome the world. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. What he has overcome for us. What he suffered for us. And listen, you might look around your world right now and go, well, this isn't good. This doesn't look good. I'm experiencing this. I'm experiencing that. And listen, I want to tell you that the disciples, when they were with Jesus before he, before he was hung on the cross, in fact, as he was hung on the cross, didn't think that the victory would come in that shape. They didn't think that victory meant their master would hang shamefully on a cross, dying in agony, in such distress. They didn't think that victory over the, the Romans and what have you was going to come in such a fashion. But it did. And we know the end of that story. We know how it goes on. We shouldn't stop declaring how good God is despite what we see and despite how we feel. First and foremost, in all situations, we should declare what? That we have a good God. There's a theme going on here. I hope you've picked it up. We have a good God. And we declare what we see through heavenly eyes. And what you should see about yourself through heavenly eyes, that's through God's eyes, is that the best for us, the best in us, and the best around us. 
We declare what we desire as it lines up with God's will for us. Even Jesus said, as it's written in Luke 22 from verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of agony from me. So he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he's just saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of agony from me. But no matter what, your will must be mine. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him and the angel appeared and he prayed even more passionately. Like one being sacrificed right there and then. Like one being sacrificed until he was in such an intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping on the ground. Anybody seen Passion of the Christ? Moved from a number of years ago. I know it's quite Catholic, but that moment where it's focusing in on that time of of prayer and intense suffering is very, very powerful. Think about what this passage has just told us. Jesus asks for the mental anguish. He asks for that mental pain to be taken away from him. But within the same sentence, within the same breath, he immediately responds to his own request that his will be lined up with his father's will. And and through that, he prayed even more. He prayed even more. He he pressed more into his father, even though what what was to come isn't going to be taken from him. Jesus is still suffering. So much so that his mental state translates into a physical response as he sweats blood. And this is a thing that can happen. The people get so stressed, so passionately upset, so anguished that their body physically reacts to how they are feeling. And in Jesus, it describes him sweating blood. This has been proven medically that this can happen. He sweats blood, but he still prayed. He still leaned into his purpose and his mission, despite what? Despite the pain. Jesus stepped out from heaven and into our environment. And suffered like we suffer. And we should see from this that despite our declarations for healing and deliverance from pain, and believe me, I've had people praying for me with my leg and what have you, and, and I've been praying myself and asking and declaring good things. Sometimes we may never see it in this earthly timeline. I think what we've got to do is actually remove ourselves from this very... Um, um, Okay, this, this, I won't go into that philosophy bit, but this, the, 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 this life isn't all there is. As we gave our life to Christ, we then entered into eternal life. And this is just but one segment of a greater whole. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be rescued from the pain right now. We certainly will be rescued from the pain as we enter from this realm and into the next one. And ultimately, as we see this realm and heaven restored and joined together once again. We'll always see it come to pass in eternity. Um, Apostle Paul in scripture wrote about a thorn in his flesh. For those of you who know, he didn't. He wrote about a thorn in his flesh. A trouble that never went while he lived on earth. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12 from about verse 7. Listen to his words. The Apostle Paul, right? Listen to his words. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. Never tells us what this thorn is, by the way. We never really 
understand what it is. We never really have a more of a clue about what it is. But he says, at first of it, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Then Paul says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. (laughs) Wow! Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap. I love this translation, it calls it a handicap. I quit focusing on the handicap, that thing which I thought was making me less than human. Because it doesn't, by the way. Having a handicap or some, you know, difference from the norm doesn't make you less than human. So, So Paul says, once I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift, It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Because Christ lived in him and he lives in you and he lives in me if you've given your life to Christ. Less of us, more of him. Let Christ take over. Let Christ take over. It's a thing that Paul says there, doesn't he? He says, he's appreciating the gift. So the thing that was the problem, the thing that was the thorn in his side, the thing that was an issue, suddenly becomes a gift. Somehow he moved mentally into a place where he actually appreciated the pain. And that really sums up my message, I guess. Because he genuinely brought positivity through the pain. He leaned, he learned to lean into Christ. All right, it's okay, we're all good. He learned to lean into Christ and take on board what Jesus said in that one sentence. Let your will be done. In other words, let your greater plan, God, be worked through me. You, God, know better than I do. And how hard is it for us, in, particularly in this very selfish age in which we live, to accept that God knows better than we do? God knows better than you. Now, however, and despite what I've just said, most of us, as believers, will be able to testify that healing can come. Some, most of us have experienced some healing. We've, we've, we've seen healing happen. We've heard stories from good sources of healing happen. Uh, and, and, and we know it. We, it might have come instantly, or it, or it may have taken a number of years to come while they're on this earth. But look, here's, here's a quote from a blog post by a guy called Jared Cooper. Anybody heard of Jared Cooper? I think I've got one of his books on sale over there. He's, uh, he's a good guy. He's a pastor from uh, Hull Church. Uh, in uh, Revive Church, actually, in whole, Some might even say he's an apostle to the church. I think he probably is. Don't know whether he refers to himself in that fashion, but some people do. But listen, he said in something that he wrote in a blog article, healing is a battle that must be won. It's not just a special moment in a church service. Equipping people to fight and keep their healing is as important as the powerful encounter that brings the healing in the first place. 
maybe I'll post a link to this particular blog article. It lists a number of things, so I'll post it in relevant places for you to find. It's as important as a powerful encounter that brings healing in the first place. And part of that equipping that, that Jarrah's talking about here is finding, I believe, finding the positive in the circumstance and then doing what? Declaring the goodness of God through it all. Yes. Let me remind you of a verse in James 1, 17. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect. Streaming down from the Father of lights who shines from the heavens with no shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. As we said to one of our kids, and I'll not tell you who, as they struggle to say anything good about school, and as such, this was a, it was affecting their mood. It was affecting what they, they got out of school. It was affecting how they responded to stuff. Said this to them. If you put positive in, you'll get positive out. If you put positivity in, you'll get positivity out. You'll get out what you put into it, in terms of that. It might sound a bit pithy. It might even sound a little bit trite to say that. But, but at the heart of that phrase is a really powerful key, I think, in helping us escape the wallowing in our pain. Or, or that room of self-pity that we lock ourselves into. There's a reason why, <laughs> there's a reason why self-help gurus uh, are the superstars of these first few decades of this new millennium. Why positivity books are the new Bible for many. Because it works. They work. Seminars on positivity, books on positivity, videos on... It works. It's a medical wonder that, that as we smile, as we say good things, as we think positive thoughts, our bodies and our minds, for most people, are actually physiologically and chemically changed for the better. Just smiling releases endorphins that make you feel good. Seeing how many of you started to smile then as I said it, and how many of you going, not smiling. I've read, I've read tons of articles this week that all say it makes a huge difference of how we live our lives. Uh, a simple example, apart from the smiling one, uh, is, that, is that if we sit and walk with our backs straight, it gives us greater confidence. And, and that you feel good. Power stance. This, this is a power stance. Am I still on? It's a power stance. Right? You know the superhero movies when they kind of land like that? Now, why do they do that? Because it's a, it's a power thing, isn't it? You know? It makes you feel better. But not only does it make you feel good, it's actually quite good for you physically with your posture. And that reduces what? Back problems. So maybe I need to stand like a superhero more. <laughs> maybe you do too. Or sit like a superhero. Um, if, if, here's another one. If we tell ourselves that we can swim that extra length, or run that extra mile, we, we actually find the inner conviction to do it. We, we, it works. That's why a lot of people say run with a partner, so they can encourage you, bring, speak positivity into you, and, and pushes you on and further. And what happens when you swim that extra length or run that extra mile? You get fitter. You feel your body's changed because of what? Your mental attitude. 
It works. Now imagine if in all that and through all that and around all that is what? The Word of God. Imagine how much more powerful our positive declarations are when we invoke the power of heaven. When we declare by his Holy Spirit words of encouragement and speak his truths into all situations. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that our words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. Now, there could be a, a metaphorical kind of angle to that. You know, words, words can kill your dreams, can't they? You may, like, kids might come to me with, like, a drawing. And it's all right. <laughs> But they think it's ace. They think it's brilliant. And if I look at it and go, what is that mess? How's it going to make them feel? I've killed their dream. What if, extreme example, what if in that moment I stopped them being the, the, the artist they were always destined to be? I killed their dream. Our words... Give, give life. On the opposite side, what we'll go, wow, that is amazing. What you've done is great. Can you do this? Can you do that? Pull on. Pull on what's inside them and bring it out and draw it out. Bring life to their dreams. Proverbs 16, 24. You could go through loads of Proverbs. It says this, nothing is more appealing than speaking beautiful, life-giving words for they release sweetness to our souls and inner healing to our spirits. I mean, because I, part of some of my life is in there, in social media, let me, re- again, if you inhabit that world of social media, let's, as Christians, let's, let's change it around and, and speak encouragement to people and positivity to people by the power of his spirit. Give a word through that medium to people. It's here. It's not going away. It's it's only going to get bigger and and change and develop. And as Christians and as believers, we need to be setting a standard of how we engage with one another and other people on that platform and give those life-giving words, those, those sweetness that we can bring to that environment. At the very beginning of time, God spoke creation into existence, didn't he? He literally spoke life. Not only that, he said that what he had spoken into was good. Go on, shout it out. Good. Good. And made well. That means that our words matter because we're created in God's image. The one who speaks life. So, We'll experience pain. We'll we'll go through pain. But remember that the one who spoke creation into existence has also felt our pain and he has overcome. And here's the thing. I'm going to finish quite soon. We are overcomers too. That's why I sang the song right at the beginning. We are overcomers too. 
using our own words to inspire us, our positive thoughts to guide us, so that we can be all that God desires us to be in all situations and in all times. And, and, and our pain may stay with us. And, and, and grief especially. That'll stay with us. But we can learn to turn that process to good as we look to see how it can change us, how it can grow us. Grief is one of the worst things to happen, to lose someone. Most of us have experienced that to some degree or another. But even that can change you positively because within that you remember the person that you've lost and you remember all that they have given you and how they have changed you, what they've invested into you. There's a positivity that can even come through grief as we remember how we've been improved as a person by that person that may have gone. We do that because despite our pain and despite our tribulations, we have a God who speaks, a God who acts, a loving Father who loves us and is with us through his Spirit. I'll read you a chunk of scripture, Romans 8, 38 and 39, and this is in the Passion Translation. It says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Let me read it to you. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love triumphs over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our future or present circumstances that weakens his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that can ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. God speaks over us with his love. What a gift that is. What a gift that is. God gives our words power. God gives life-giving words over us through his people and through his scriptures. We have a calling, actually. Each one of us, we have a calling. Whatever other calling you think you have, we have a calling to speak life-giving words over others. And ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of yourself. And we can speak life through encouragement, through adoration, through love, and through prayer. Just bow your heads for a moment. Abba Father, that's Daddy God. Thank you that in the beginning of time you spoke life when you spoke us into being. I pray that as those made in your image, we will speak your life-giving words to others and to ourselves. In the name, the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me finish with just a, a quote and a poem. To be a believer, this is from Oswald Chambers, it says, to be a believer in Jesus Christ means realizing that what Jesus said to Thomas is true. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not the road we leave behind as we travel, but the way itself. By believing, we enter into that rest of peace, holiness, and eternal life because we are abiding in him. And then there's a poem that I found on Instagram by... Uh, he's a friend of mine. I haven't seen him for a while, but we'll call him a... He's definitely a social media friend. And you've actually met him, some of you. Travelled up with Jeff a long while ago, called Jay Travaldi. He wrote this poem, a very short poem. The posture of dependency is the place I choose to be. I believe in something greater than me, one that transforms my destiny. I live with great expectancy. My best days are ahead of me. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Have an awesome week and just speak, speak good words to yourself and to others. And uh, I'll stop talking. Bless you. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message. Please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.